0: Good morning. Uh, My name is Forrest. I'm a covenant member here. Uh, Our scripture today comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Um, well, good morning. Um, we are so glad that you all here uh, to worship with us today. For those of you I do not know, my name is Brian. I'm one of the other pastors here uh, and, re- and really quick, and so if you've kind of been uh, visiting with us or new for the last couple of weeks, um, you may have noticed just um, right after um, our worship set, we remain standing um, for the reading of God's word, for the text that we're going to be looking at. And really quick, I just want to share the reason that we do that um, is we want to make sure that there's a differentiation between um, my words, which are fallible, and, and God's, God's word. And so the reason we stand uh, for the scripture is, one, we want to definitely make that differentiation that we know, like, hey, this, this is the word of the Lord um, that we are uh, listening to. Um, this isn't Brian's words. These aren't Ryan's words. We obviously want to, as best as we can, uh, faithfully preach the word of God. That's why we preach through books of the Bibles or, or portions of the text. But for us, we stand for the reading of, the God, of God's word because we want us to know that, hey, th- these words are much more important um, than, than anything that I have to say, and so um, so if you 're new with us that 's why we do this um, it's just it 's a continual pattern that we always will do, um, just because we want to know that hey um, god 's words are much more are much higher than ours and so anyways, well hey if you haven 't already turned there, go ahead and turn to mark chapter one this morning we 're going to be looking at verses nine through thirteen so well if you 've been around here long enough that you are probably well aware. Uh, of this little back and forth that Ryan, ha- Ryan and I have uh, over the Cowboys. Um, for those of you who are new, once again, welcome. Um, kind of what this ba- the nature of this back and forth is that Ryan is a big fan of the Cowboys and I am a big fan of making fun of Cowboys fans. And so this is the nature of uh, this relationship. So we are always have this-, this back and forth uh, i just kind of going, which the thing is, I grew up in Irving where they used to play. I should be a fan. I just, I'm really honestly, I'm more indifferent, but I have more joy in making fun of Cowboys fans. Uh, now, for some of you in here, you are a Cowboys fan, um, and you don't need to identify yourself. It's okay. Um, but uh, uh, you might feel that tension and that frustration whenever I'm up here ripping on the Cowboys. Um, you might identify with Ryan. Some of you in here, whether you're a Cowboys fan or an Eagles fan uh, or whatever, like, you like, like the fact that I'm actually you know, jabbing on them. And then some of you in here are like, okay, dude, this joke is like a mullet. It had its time, but it's no longer needed anymore. I'm tired of it, right? Um, wherever you are on the spectrum, though, th- there's some space, there's some spot that you might identify with. Um, you, whenever it means we identify with somebody, we're aligning ourselves with them. We agree, we empathize, we can understand. So like if you're a Cowboys fan, right, like you feel that frustration whenever I'm up here just ripping on them, uh, right? Or if you are not a fan, you might kind of like it, I'm giving you more ammo. But the reason, we, but one of the things we understand is when we identify with something, we're aligning ourselves with it, we are agreeing with it, um, We we kind of can understand one another's perspective when we're coming from the same point of view. And so when we're identifying ourselves with something, we are uh, essentially aligning ourselves with whatever that thing is. And ultimately, like, we like to be understood. We like when people identify with us on some level, don't we? Um, whenever we meet somebody new, it's always kind of fun when you're in a conversation and you find out, oh, we, we like the same taste in music or, or there's a lot of the same things that we both enjoy. Um, another aspect of identifying with somebody is, hey, we understand each other. We love to be understood, don't we? Right? It's always frustrating when, we, when, when someone comes into our life, hardly knows us, and, and they speak all these things and they completely misunderstand. Right? That's probably where a lot of conflict even comes from is that we're just not, we're missing each other. We're not understanding one another. Right? But there's something innate within us that we enjoy uh, when, when we're around something or someone who identifies with us, who understands us, who gets where we're coming from, who feel the same things that we feel, who know where we're coming from, who might even be frustrated at the same times that we might be frustrated. We, we enjoy this uh, idea when, where we're um, understood, when, when somebody identifies with us. So one of the things that we have to understand is when we get to the Gospels of Mark, when we get to the Gospel, the Gospels force us um, to remind us something about Jesus that is incredibly important. Jesus is the all-eternal, always-existing Son of God. This is true about Jesus, but what is also true about Jesus, that he was also fully man. He, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And Jesus, being fully man, him coming to this earth, descending from his throne in heaven to be among us, is a way in which he is able to fully identify with us. Jesus is the one who, uh, he, he, he comes to this earth and he identifies with us. He understands us. He gets it. And so the question I'm going to lay before us today, and I want to walk us through, I think uh, this text in Mark is going to help us see, is that how does Jesus identify with us, and why does that matter? Um, how does Jesus identify with us in his baptism and in his temptation? Uh, and why does that matter for us today uh, in St. Angelo, Texas in the 21st century? And, and especially in terms of our theme for this, this, this series, Repent and Believe, what does this have to do with Repentance. And so this is where we're going today. This is where we're going to hopefully uh, be able to see. And my hope for us is that we see that Jesus um, does truly, fully identify with us and that his humanity just puts the exclamation point on that. So let's go ahead and reread verses 9 through 11. Let's look at his baptism first. Um, Mark says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven, and, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. I, I imagine the question that a lot of us have when we read a text like this is: why on earth did Jesus get baptized? This, for for us, especially when we think about what John's baptism was, which we talked about last week, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so when someone was being baptized, when someone was being immersed in the water, they were essentially affirming and, and agreeing and aligning themselves with, hey, I need repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we talked about last week how that was a big deal for people who were of the Jewish culture because typically baptism was reserved for the Gentiles converting to Judaism. And so this was a big deal. So when uh, this was John, what John was baptizing people in. So the question as we read uh, this text is, why did Jesus need to get baptized? What was the point of his baptism? And actually, John even has the same question. If you look in Matthew's account, in, in, in Matthew chapter 3, we see a little bit more of a dialogue between Jesus and John. And John's like, hey, you should be actually the one baptizing me. Uh, I, I'm the one who actually needs some forgiveness here. Uh, But Jesus says something that actually helps us maybe understand a little bit more as to why he got baptized. Uh, After John kind of presses Jesus uh, that he should baptize him, Jesus responds and says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. What's he saying here? What's, what's, What's Jesus getting at here? Remember, John's baptism, we look at the, the opening verses of the book of Mark are these prophecies from the Old Testament about John being the one who's going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, which was Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing, essentially saying, is that he's identifying himself as the one who is going to fulfill the righteous requirement that we all needed, um, to, to, that we all needed to fully be reconciled back to God. For us to engage in the forgiveness, repentance for the forgiveness of sins, there had to be one who would go before us, who had to be perfect in all ways, and Jesus was that one. And so Jesus uh, is getting baptized, Is him affirming the Old Testament prophecies that he is the one that they are pointing to. He is the point of these Old Testament prophecies, he is the one. And so him baptizing, being baptized um, touches on that, it covers that. Um, but there's also another layer to Jesus' baptism. So yes, he is affirming um, that these Old Testament prophecies uh, refer to him. But he's also doing something that was incredibly uh, revealing of, of, of who he was and what he came to do. He was identifying himself with the sin, with sinful man he was identifying himself with sinful man. And not only was he saying that he was Messiah and, and identifying himself with sin, sinful man, but really what he's actually doing, he's broadening the definition of what repentance truly is. Because what repent so repentance, as we talked about last week, yes, it is a turning from our sin. It is confessing the things that are broken within us. Um, but it, there's another part of that puzzle that Jesus lives out in his life. There's this, yes, there's this turning from sin, but it's also um, a life that turns from our own desires and seeks to follow the will of God in all things by the power of the Spirit. Jesus perfectly embodies a life of repentance because he perfectly submitted to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus' life is marked by. He perfectly submits to the Father uh, because he's walking and being led by the Spirit. You see this, this beautiful interaction between the Trinity, where God, they're working together. And we see this even culminate in verse 10, um, after Jesus is baptized. Um, and here's the thing. The reason we know that, 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 that this text, uh, Jesus is identifying with sinful man, because the very nature of baptism was speaking about, like I'm a, if you're getting baptized into something, you're, you're identifying yourself with that message, and so Jesus getting baptized was identifying himself with those who needed the repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and so that's how we know. But we see this call, the scene culminate whenever Jesus is risen up uh, from the waters. The heavens are torn open. The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and we hear the voice of God declaring about the Son that this is my Son, who I am well pleased. This is my son for whom I am well pleased. So we see in this scene that God the Father is declaring his love for the Son. And the Son perfectly following the will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this was the inauguration of Jesus' ministry and the direction and course in which he would be living for the next three years. He, he was perfect perfectly aligned with the father through the power of the holy spirit and this is what a really a life of repentance is it's it's a yes a turning from our sin but it's it's also a turning and seeking to follow jesus uh, and perfectly submitting to the father through the power of the spirit and so jesus came to identify himself with sinful man this is what the scene is capturing he's coming to identify himself with sinful man and 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 and, and and the point is that what we see in this baptism is that Jesus does not distance himself um, from our sin, but he presses in. Jesus didn't distance himself from the broken people that were around him, but rather he presses in. And even though he was sinless, so that's one thing we need to clarify. Him identifying with sinful man does not mean he was sinful, but rather it was showing that he was going to step into their world and be with them. And so even though he was sinless, he wasn't going to, he didn't, doesn't cast anyone away who would come to him. His baptism begins to reveal his approachability as both the son of God and man. Let me say that again. His baptism was beginning to reveal the approachability of him as the son of God and man. Um, and as we think about the, the humanity of Christ, some of you guys who have been participating in our Gentle and Lowly study, you may have come across this quote, but I wanted to, to share this with you from Dane Ortlund. This is talking about the, 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 just the idea that God, Jesus came as a man and experienced the things that we experience. And as doing as such, he is able to identify with us. But um, he, Dane, Dane Ortlund says it like this. He says, Jesus is not Zeus. He was a sinless man, not a sinless superman. He knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. How many of us can identify with one of those emotions? How many of us, even just this morning, have felt some kind of uh, shame or embarrassment? Um, you felt rejected. You felt misunderstood. Um, or even so, how many of you this morning uh, have looked to those around you and, and maybe shown those things towards them? That you were the one who is misunderstanding. You were the one giving uh, embarrassment. You were the one who was scorned. We can all identify on some level with each one of, of these emotions. How many of us have, have experienced suffering this week in some form? Um, whether you're experiencing loss of, a, of somebody you love or the stress of life is just pressuring down you. Both are, are aspects of suffering. How many of you this week um, feel the pressure around you to give in and compromise uh, on who you know God is calling you to be because you want to fit in? How many of you this week are feeling the pressure um, just to be a good dad, to be a good mom, to be a good parent, to be a good spouse, to be a good Christian, all at the same time, and you just feel weighted by that. How many of you guys have have felt abandoned and alone? All, All of, I mean, I could go on. All of us have, on some level, at some point, have experienced these things before, because these are real, raw, human experiences, And Jesus knows what it's like to experience these things because he was fully man. And so what does it mean that Jesus identifies himself with sinners? These things that we experience, he gets. He understands. um, And he aligns himself with us and he steps into our darkness uh, to help eradicate it. He steps into our sin. He steps into our... Brokenness to help pull us us out of it, and and, and yes, Amen. Um, and his baptism is an affirmation um, that he was going to be the one to offer forgiveness and the repentance of sins. So 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 so, so G, all these things and emotions, these experiences. Um, that we oftentimes feel, Jesus also experienced them because he lived in this world. That's what, that's what Dane means when he says He was a sinless man, but he wasn't a sinless Superman. He felt the things that we felt. He went through the things that we went through. And, he, and here's what really um, the crux of this idea of repentance is. Uh, as Jesus lived it, um, repentance, which is led by the spirit, uh, was ultim- is ultimately a gateway for us to see with clear eyes what the father's will is. Or, or for us, another way to put it is repentance is the gateway for us to clear, to more clearly see the way of Jesus. And so when we engage with repentance, we're not just um, turning from bad things, but rather we're, we're leaning on Jesus uh, to help us see what his way is. And, and Jesus, uh, through the Spirit, um, lived this perfectly. He lived this perfectly. And so his baptism shows us that he's, he was going to come to identify with us. His baptism shows us that, that the, our definition of repentance is, yes, turning from our sin, but it's also perfectly submitting to the will of the Father. And his baptism shows us that he was fully man-ready and willing to engage with the experiences that we all experience. But immediately after his baptism... Um, he, begin, he begins another aspect of life in which we all also experience on a daily, continual basis, and that's temptation. Um, that's temptation. Really quick, let's look in verses uh, 12 through 13. So Jesus is baptized, and immediately, this is what happens. He says, the text says, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness uh, 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him, and so his baptism inaugurated his ministry, um, his earthly ministry, and set uh, the course in which he was about to do to the cross to redeem mankind. And the first thing that happens right after his baptism is that the text says the Spirit drove him to the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, Matthew even adds another layer to it. He says that he drove him to the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And just for clarity's sake, when he says he was tempted for 40 days, it wasn't that it was just like a moment here or a moment there. All 40 days, Jesus faced some aspect of temptation. And so we haven't necessarily touched on this yet, but but one key um, thing that Mark brings up in these first 13 verses is this idea of wilderness. Um, He says that Jesus was intentionally drove by the Spirit. The Spirit led him to a place in which he was going to be uh, in uh, a space where he was going to be tempted to to sin. And this space was going to be the wilderness. So so the wilderness is this desolate place. It's it's a place where there's not a lot of life. It's also a place where there was a lot of threat. So when he says that um, he was with the wild animals... Um, this idea of like, uh, like Snow White hanging out with the animals and they're all coming to him like just like, like her and like all lovely and like, oh, they're having a good time. That's not what's being communicated here. The animals were not Jesus's friend in this scenario. They were actually his enemies. They were the threat that was going to potentially cause him to sin. And so this is the idea that the spirit was driving him to be in a place to be temptation, tempted. And the question I think for us to ask is why would God bring Jesus to a place to be tempted? Why would God bring Jesus to to a place to be tempted? Well, as we already talked about, if Jesus is to fully align himself with sinful man, temptation is an incredibly big part of the human experience, is it not? Temptation is something that we all face. And so when Satan tempts us, when we feel tempted, Satan's goal is for us to sin. So Satan's goal for his tempting of Jesus um, was for him to sin was for him to, to give in. We'll, just get, we'll get on that in just a second. But um, when God, we have to trust that even God is sovereign over, our, over temptation. God is in control over the schemes of the enemy. And while God isn't necessarily the one tempting, he knows when it's happening, and he's able to use those situations and scenarios for us to ultimately trust him in the midst of it. And so when God is the one who tests, when God allows temptation to come on our life, it's not for the point of us to sin, but rather it's for us an excuse to go to him and look at him. And so the nature of, of this temptation that um, Jesus was getting, uh, that he experienced uh, from Satan, was ultimately um, to cause a distrust of the will of the Father. It, it is the nature of this temptation was, was for him to distrust who he was called to be, which is the perfect son of God and distrust that God was somehow uh, not gonna be able to do what he said he was gonna do. Or God wasn't as good or the God's way wasn't as um, perfect as maybe God was claiming to be. And so it's this idea to, uh, to cause a distrust. And that's what the nature of his sin was. Did, did God really say? Or, or um, if you're really the son of God, you can. You, I know you're hungry. You've been out here for 40 days and haven't eaten anything. You can take these, these stones and turn them bread, and you'd be good. Um, or like, as, and this, these are all in Matthew chapter 4, by the way, uh, a more extensive um, account of Jesus' temptation. But the, the nature of, of Satan's questions towards Jesus were all meant to cause a distrust of, one, his identity, and two, a distrust of God's perfect will. Did God really say, did, did God really mean? Did, 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 if you're the son of God, you'll do this. And, and, and t- temptation operates in the same way for us. It's ultimately meant for, for us to have this distrust of God. That's what temptation is. It's this enticing, it's this lurement of, of, hey, this thing over here might be a little bit better than what God is offering over here. This thing over here actually is going to be more life-giving than what God says is. And so temptation is this, uh, is this enticement to walk in something that ultimately is harmful and unwise and is, in, is contrary to the nature of God. And it's meant to rise the questions in our mind, did God really say, or is God really for your good? Those questions are meant to twist. They're meant to take our eyes off of Jesus. They're meant to take our eyes off of what we know is true and onto something else. And what temptation does, it causes us to doubt that God is really good because oftentimes the thing that's offered on the other end has the appeasement, has has the appeal that it's good. Do you ever feel um, that tension, I, I, I know in this room, uh, temp, how you all are tempted it is going to show itself in lots of different ways, but have you ever felt whenever you're tempted by something that, hey, this thing actually seems better than what God is offering, and it almost seems wrong to not engage in it. It almost seems like, man, I'm missing out on something if I'm not participating in this thing, and, and temptation will often give us the feeling that God is withholding something good from us. Temptation is meant to cause a distrust in the, the will of the Father and cause us to look on to something else for life, right? We give into our angers and our lusts and our greed and our pride and however temptation might manifest itself, the, 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 what's being offered on the other end is oftentimes just this idea that like, hey, this is gonna be better. This is gonna be better. Have you ever felt that? Sink, sink with that question for a second. Have you ever felt the nature of temptation, the things that you're being pulled to as more enticing, as more pleasing, as more pleasurable than, 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 than what God would have us do. I think we've all been there. Like it almost feels like, man, if I don't click on this link, man, I'm going to miss out. Or if I don't get into this peer pressure, people are going to think less of me. And so I've got to get into this. I've got to do these things so people will like me. Or if I don't participate... Uh, in this gossip at, at work, I'm going to be ostracized, and so I need to do this thing. If I don't, um, if I, if I don't listen to, to what other people think, are, are they going to think less of me? Um, temptation also comes in the form of self-justifying. I need to be approved right before people so they can see me in a certain light. I need to hide this thing so people can see me in a certain light. Temptation is, a, is ultimately a, is, is us being lured away from, to, to distrust God. Now, I need to say this as well. Temptation in and of itself is not sinful. Jesus was tempted. Um, we're tempted. Our temptations aren't sinful. We're broken people. We experience temptation in all kinds of ways. It's what we do with it. It's how we interact with it. Are we going to believe the message that it's selling us, that this thing is better? Or are we going to look to Jesus? And that's the remedy for temptation. That's the remedy for temptation. What do we do in the middle of these moments where we just feel the pressure and intensity of brokenness and this pull to go towards this other thing? We look to Jesus. That is the answer to, to our temptation. Temptation is an opportunity for us to go to Jesus. Our Temptation is an opportunity for us to look to Jesus. And here's what's important. So was Jesus tempted in the wilderness? Yes. Was Jesus alone in the middle of his temptation in the wilderness? No. Right before the spirit descends on him, you see the Father's pleasement with him. And, and, and you see in this, in this moment as well that the angels were ministering to him. What we see is that in the midst of temptation, in the midst of Jesus uh, having this onslaught from Satan of all the different things that uh, in the moment might have felt good, like Jesus probably was hungry, he probably wanted to eat some food, right? There probably was, whenever J- Satan offers, hey, look, all this is going to be yours. I can give it to you if you just worship me. There probably was an aspect where he was pulled by that, but Jesus knew what he came to do, and that was ultimately to come and redeem mankind from our sin. And ultimately, had he had fallen and sinned in that, man, we would have been hopeless. Jesus knew what he came to do. He relied on the Father in the middle of temptation he, he wasn't alone in the middle of temptation. He wasn't uh, by himself in the middle of it. And so the same is true for us. When we're in the middle of our temptation and, and, and this pull towards sin, we look to Jesus. We are not alone in our temptation. We are not fighting alone. We, if you are a Christian, you have the Spirit of God within you who is able to help you in the midst of trouble. He's able to help you, pull you away uh, when you're feeling pulled into sin. And, and, and if you look in Hebrews uh, 4, uh, verses four, uh, 15 through 16, this is a text that we're very, very familiar with. It, uh, it's, 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 we see that God is able to help us in the time of need. And this is layered. Let me read these verses for us. It says that in verse 15, For we do not have a high priest, he's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us, there, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in, to help in the time of need. So, so a verse like this, verse 15 says that Jesus, who's our great high priest, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, Why was he able to sympathize with our weaknesses? Well, the baptism and temptation of Jesus put flesh to this verse because Jesus identified himself with sinful man. He experienced the things that we experienced. He knows what it was like to feel weak. He knows what it was like to feel tempted. He knows all those things. He's able to identify with us in those things. He's able to identify with us when we feel misunderstood because he was misunderstood all the time. He was able to identify himself with his, with our weaknesses. And his baptism and his temptation puts flesh to this verse. We see in, the, in Mark's account, oh, there were moments where Jesus experienced humanity. There were moments where Jesus experienced uh, the struggle of what it means to live on this earth. And he says that he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way that we've been yet without sin. And the second part of this verse is that we see that the nature and heart of Jesus is inclined towards sinners, as, 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 as Daniel Ortlund says in Gentle and Lowly. He's inclined towards us. He sympathizes with us. He helps us. He's drawn towards us. And not only is he drawn towards us in the middle of temptation and, and, and understanding, but he's able to help. The remedy for temptation is, like I said earlier, looking to Jesus. He says in verse 16 that we are to draw with confidence to the throne of grace. It means we can go to God. We can bring our things. We can bring our brokenness before him. And we can expect, he says, we can expect to receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Temptation is a time of need. Temptation is a reminder that things aren't as they should be. Temptation is a reminder um, that we still live in a broken and fallen world. And it's a time of need for all of us. And what we can do in those times of need, as this text says, is we can go to a sympathetic high priest who loves us, who understands us, who gets us because he also lived on this earth. And he's also able to give us grace and help in the time of need. I love how Oswald Chambers, he he says it like this. He says that God does not save us from our temptations but sustains us in the midst of them. God does not save us from our temptations, but sustains us in the midst of them. Temptation is an opportunity to go to Jesus. Temptation is an opportunity to go with Jesus. And when we see Jesus baptized, he's identifying himself with sinful man. When we see Jesus tempted, he's identifying himself with sinful man. And and really, what each of those events set forth was that Jesus' life was going to be marked by perfect submission to the will of the Father, even to the cross. His biggest temptation we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is sweating blood, knowing what he's about to do, knowing that he's about to take on the sin of mankind, knowing um, that he was going to take a punishment that he did not deserve, but that all of us do. He went to... His submission to the Father led him to the cross. And in the cross, in the finished work of the cross, and then in his resurrection, he bought us the opportunity to be redeemed fully. It's only through the name of Jesus in which we are saved. And Jesus came to bring forgiveness. Jesus came to bring reconciliation between us and God. Our sin separates us from God. If we aren't in Christ, we are still separated from God. We're still facing judgment if we are in Christ, we are reconciled. And it was the work of Jesus that did that for us. He was the one who fulfilled righteousness. He was the one who was perfect for us. And his perfect submission to the Father ultimately leads him to the cross. So why does this matter then for you and I? There's this idea that Jesus identifies himself with with sinful men. Why, why, what's the point? Why does this matter uh, for, for you and I? Uh, two, two things that are incred- incredibly true for us to, to grasp as we leave today, two things, um, is that one, that we are still incredibly broken and sinful and we live in a world in which we feel the pull and temptation uh, uh, to distrust God every day. We feel that. But what's also true is that it is, these exact people, you and I, who experience these things that Jesus identifies with and came to save. We are the people, we are the people that Jesus identifies with. It's easy to see from the scriptures, and and like, oh man, like 2,000 years ago, these people were getting baptized, and like Jesus was helping them, and he was identifying with them, he was encouraging, it was cool, but like, we are the people he identifies with. We are broken. We are sinful. We are prone to temptation. We are still, we have, all of us like, are feel the weight of temptation. I know we do. And we feel that things aren't as they should be. But it was, we're the kind of people that Jesus came to identify with. So look to him. In the middle of your temptation, look to him. He identifies with you. He understands. He sympathizes. He gets it. I Remember... Um, One time as a kid, uh, I was I was like six or something like that, and I was in the back seat of a a car. My mom was uh, was sitting in the front with a friend of hers, and and she was talking. They were talking about pecan pie or something like that, and I remember uh, them saying something about pecan pie. And then I, in the back seat, said this profound statement of, "I love pecan pie, even though I've never tried it. (laughs) I love pecan pie, even though I've never tried it. It would be years later until I finally tried it and really liked it." Here's the point, here's the point. We will never know the empathy of Christ. We will never know how he truly identifies with us if we never bring our deepest and darkest things to him. We will never know the empathy and sympathy of Christ. Uh, We will never know how much he actually identifies with us if we don't bring our stuff to him. We don't repent before him. And the inverse of that is, we will know more about the heart of Christ and know more about his love and grace and know more about how he identifies with us when we do bring ourselves with him. And so what this means for us is that we are free to live lives of repentance. Like we talked about last week, you are free when, when the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin and the layers and depths of that sin and how it permeates and affects other aspects of your life, you're free to peel that onion. You're free to continue to go down that rabbit trail because Christ's grace is there in the midst of it. He's identifying with you in the midst of it. And as you go down that rabbit trail more, you're able to see more how he is a sympathetic high priest who is for your good. And that does not produce distrust of him. That produces greater trust of him. And so as we... um, went down our time, and band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Um, when we partake in communion, we're getting to take part in this reminder that Jesus identifies with sinners. We're getting to take part in this reminder that Jesus came to this earth. He was perfectly, uh, he perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. He perfectly was led by the Spirit. To the cross, um, which he spilled his blood um, and broke his body, for the fact that for the purpose of us being able to be reconciled to him. And so, when we partake in communion, we're getting to remind ourselves that Jesus identifies with sinful man. Jesus identifies those with sinful men. And so, we have tables in the back and the front. Um, if you are not in Christ, if you not put your faith in Christ. I would ask you um, a couple of things. One, communion is for the believer. Um, So we just ask you for a frame. But two, I would ask that you would consider and use this time to to ask yourselves, ask yourself, what is stopping me from putting my faith and trust in Jesus? If in Christ I'm offered hope and redemption, mercy, new starts every day, um, a space where I can actually for once in my life be truly honest and open What is stopping you from coming to Jesus? For those of you in this morning who are in Christ, use this time to bring things before the Lord, knowing that you have a savior who his heart is drawn towards you in the middle of your struggle and brokenness, not away from you. When we partake in communion, we get to be reminded of this. And his death and resurrection, this is what ensured, um, that for those who place faith in him, God will say the same thing to us that he said about Jesus. This is my son. This is my daughter for whom I am well pleased. If you're in Christ, that is true of you today. And as you take communion, celebrate and thank God for that. You are my son. You are my daughter for whom I am well pleased.